It's Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you tonight by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesco. Hey, Chet, the Sixers are healthy, rested, and ready for an NBA playoff run. The Phillies have been hit with the injury bug. Eagles minicamp is underway. And two locals, Villanova's Jay Wright and the Inquirer's woman basketball guru, Mel Greenberg, have been selected to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Still plenty going on in Philly sports. Bill, hang on. I'm confused by all the new mask rules. Now, I don't need to wear a mask to do our show anymore. Is that right? No, I think you're good. Maybe even in New Jersey. Yeah, I know. It's very confusing. So I'm taking it off. Going to hope for the best here. And uh, yeah, we got a lot going on, Bill. Regarding the Sixers, I'm really excited about that, and I'm glad we got Tyrone joining us to talk about them. And then the Phillies, boy, they're just like frustrating, and yet they're still right there in the hunt for the National League East. So let's hope for the best with the Phillies also. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the Phillies are going to be interesting in that NL East because everybody's still playing close to 500 ball. The Mets look like they're trying to gain a little ground because they're a little bit ahead. But they've played a lot less games uh, because of COVID and so forth. Or I think they're five games less played. So yep. if you turn them into wins, that's a pretty that opens up a pretty big gap. Uh, so that that'll be interesting to watch. But the Phillies, Chad, I'm telling you, I think hitting season's coming. Boy, I hope so because uh, the hitting's been really hit or miss with the Phils. And uh, I'd like to see a little more of the hitting. You know, they scored eight runs Sunday night, but it still wasn't enough. And then, then last night, Zach Wheeler pitches great. And all of a sudden, the bullpen gives up a couple of runs. Jose giving up that two-run blast. And it looks like they were going to lose it. And then they explode for seven runs in the bottom half of the eighth. So I'd like to see a little more of that hitting, a little more consistency, but long way to go. They just passed the quarter turn of the season. Yeah, well, that seven-run eighth was fun to watch. A uh, lot, lot of ball hitting, you know, a lot, of, lot going on, a lot of base running, a lot of good at-bats, uh, quality at-bats. And I, the thing I like about this team, Chet, you mentioned uh, scoring eight, eight the other night and losing 10-8. to eight. Uh, They were down, what, 8 nothing in that game. They battled back, didn't win, but you got to like that in a team that just keeps on battling. And uh, maybe that's where the difference in Joe Girardi will come. Uh, called out. Called out Gene Segura the other day. Uh, got got a little action going on there. That that's healthy. That's good in my mind, and uh, they're certainly going to need that. Well, I don't know if you wanted wanted that to happen on camera. I think you'd prefer that it didn't. But uh, supposedly they're good now. Joe said he loves Gene. They're, they yeah, love each other. Yeah, yeah, they love each other. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you certainly don't want it to happen in the dugout. There's cameras everywhere, but you know. Um, it's okay. It's okay if it happens. Now, if you have a uh, Jonathan Papel, Bob Bryce Harper deal in the dugout, yeah. that's not okay. But, uh, you know, they're, they're playing with a little intensity, a little passion, and uh, good for Girardi to call him out, and uh, probably not so good for Segura to respond the way he did in the dugout. Yeah, as long as it was just, you know, some words. You don't want to see any fisticuffs between your teammates or your manager and a, a player. So uh, let's try to avoid that. Segura has had some problems over the years, though. That's probably why he's been with, what, five different teams over the years. He's uh, a little tough to get along with sometimes, they say. Not always the best of guys, but, you know, he's he's having a decent year, just an occasional lapse in the field, and uh, they need him, especially now with, you know, DD on the injury list again. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we are going to have two guests tonight, I believe. Uh, we hope. Those two. <laughs> uh, Phillies Nation's Tim Kelly will be first up. Uh, we're looking for Tim right at the moment. And uh, Sixers insider Tyrone Johnson, he will be giving us the lowdown as the Sixers get ready for the playoffs yet. And, hey, just for you, uh, because I know you're fired up about this Sixers thing, you notice the Philly press box backdrop tonight behind me went to red, white, and blue Sixers. Yeah just for you my friend 
Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I'm excited about the Sixers postseason uh, playoffs starting up this weekend. We know now it will be Sunday. We don't know yet whether it's going to be against the Wizards or the Pacers. The thinking is the Pacers will get that final playoff berth. But either way, it looks like a Sunday afternoon game at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, 10,000 plus fans in the building. So, yeah, I can't wait. I think they're going to at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, we're going to find out. Uh, they should be healthy. They should be rested. Uh, there shouldn't be any reason for them to not go as far as the talent can take them. Yeah, uh, Doc's done done a great job coaching those guys this year, so uh, I think he's going to have them ready. This is one of those rare times when they have a full week to actually practice, and that's going to get George Hill more acclimated, uh, get some of the, the key guys a little more rest. They got some rest over the latter part of the season, a thing that you don't like, uh, the uh, load management stuff. But uh, I think they're going to be ready. Might be a little sluggish in game one since they haven't really played a game that meant much in a couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, they're going to be ready. Doc's going to have them good to go, and I, I can't wait, like I said. Well, and I hope nobody gets hurt during practice. You know you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see that. And what is it with all the, the Philadelphia fans sometimes worry about all that? Well, what if Embiid gets hurt? You know, there's always this negative feeling like, you know, something bad is going to happen. I think it's just we're conditioned that way being a Philadelphia sports fan. Yeah, and, you know, well, that's that neg- negativity, you know, it, I don't know what that's really about, but it goes on. Hey, one other thing while we're waiting on Tim. Uh, what is this, the thirty? What is it, 47th anniversary of the Flyers winning the Stanley Cup, Chet? It was a Sunday afternoon, Bill, May 19th, 1974. I remember it well, sitting in my living room watching on TV. Uh, yeah, 47 years ago today. And sadly, they got that one and the one the next year and haven't had one since. But uh, we'll never forget that. You know, you never forget your first one, Bill. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember where I was at my cousin's house, whole family uh, get together watching the game. And uh, I can remember driving down McDay Boulevard after the game, headed back towards our house. And man, they were they were out celebrating already. And uh, it was fun. It really was. And, you know, I was a teenager, of course, as you were. And all through the playoffs and even part of the regular season, I would watch or listen to every game and even like keep my own little scoring stats and stuff. I was a bit of a nerd, I guess, but uh, I was just really into those Flyers teams back then. And I felt good things were happening. And boy, did they in 74 and 75 and even most of 76. Yeah, well, and it was new. It was new to us, uh, a, a lot of us, that uh, at least to this level, and and we got the, to find out early about what Stanley Cup playoff hockey is all about. Because uh, to this day, I mean, I found myself the last couple nights. I'm watching. I'm I'm a Flyers fan. I'm not a huge hockey fan. I don't put on hockey games just to watch. Yeah, uh, but I have been uh, because the playoffs are just something special and. Uh, they're fun to watch. I watched some of the, the lightning game the other night. I watched the, uh, the Bruins and the Capitals the other night. Um, uh, the blues, I was watching some of the blues game, uh, other than the fact there's nothing on TV, but, uh, but watching Stanley cup playoff hockey is, is a fun thing. Yeah. I'm more of a provincial guy. I don't really watch a whole lot of other teams in the NHL playoffs until maybe they get to the conference finals or the finals. And then I'll I'll watch more of the games. But from what I understand, some of the early round action has been like really intense already. And that's just the way it is, I guess, with the NHL. Well, I was watching, I was watching the uh, Capitals and the Bruins the other night and it went overtime and I'm thinking how much I really don't like either one of these teams and really how much I don't like Brad Marchant. And 36 seconds, 39 seconds into overtime, he scores the game winner. And I was like, ah, any, anything but him, anything but him. <laughs> so you get to carry that along with you a little bit. Getting back to baseball as we wait for Tim, I hope hope Tim shows up. I don't know. Uh, did you notice that there's been a lot of guys getting hit by pitches this year? I saw an article that it's on pace to be maybe the highest ever or one of the uh, most hit-by-pitch seasons. I don't know why. Is it just – a coincidence is it something animosity well, between teams i don't know no i, I think uh, i saw a piece uh by ryan zimmerman of the nationals when hmm. harper got hurt or hit and hurt uh a couple of weeks ago and zimmerman said that he feels like these teams 
have all these great arms down in the minor leagues. They're throwing high 90s. Everybody's throwing high 90s now. And they got these great arms, so they're bringing them up and, and taking a chance on them. Um, they don't know where the ball's going. And if the kid comes up and he's successful, they keep him up. And if he's not, they send him back down. They're just taking flyers on good arms, and they're up there, and they don't have the control of a Zach Wheeler who can throw 99 and throw strikes all day long. Uh, we're seeing a lot of guys who can't do that. And well, yes, yeah. a lot of guys getting hit. And there are more guys, as you were alluding to, who can throw 99, 100, 101 miles an hour now. And you're not going to always have the utmost control of that. And, uh, yeah, that, that's probably part of it, too. And how about Jose? It's Alvarado, right? I'm yep. blanking on his name. Um, he's one of those guys who I think is effectively wild, where he can, you know, miss by a foot and then come back with one down the middle and blow it past you. And I think that puts a little fear into some of the hitters. Now, you know, last night, one of the guys uh, from the Marlins hit one out on him, and uh, that's going to happen. But I, I like what the Phillies have done with the bullpen this year. The results aren't quite where we want to see them yet, but they're certainly better than last year when they were just god-awful. But I like the fact that they now have guys who can throw 98, 99, 100 on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, I, I I do too. I think the bullpen is definitely better than it was. Uh, I think you know you you certainly hope that Naris isn't blowing games, and I think that's you know that's been a bit of a problem. Was he three Saturdays in a row? I think he gave, gave up home runs, um, but I think overall they're certainly better than they were, and they they are going to be better. I think as they go, and uh, again you got to stay healthy, and they're they're getting good work out of of some of the young guys. Um, you know, you get in some of those lost games, you know, where it's eight, nothing, uh, what are you going to do? But they still have to find starters. And, uh, Velasquez has shown some signs like he always does. And you never know what you're going to get the next time out. And they don't have a five guy. I think we're, we've pretty well established that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Velasquez has been surprisingly good the last three times out. So you worry when that's going to end. But, uh, yeah, they got to either bring Spencer Howard up or find somebody somewhere. If they're still in the race, which I think they will be in early July, then Dombrowski's going to have to, A, find a center fielder if that's still an issue, and B, find another starter. Hopefully the bullpen will be in fine shape by then. But uh, I think they can stay in contention because, as we said, they haven't even been hitting as we thought that they would just yet, and here they are just a game out of first place. So I like their chances on that end. Um, the bullpen is still a work in progress, but you know, we talked about some of the guys. I like the fact that Archie Bradley is back. We both like Connor Brogdon. I think he's got a lot of potential to be a guy who can be either a setup guy or eventually a closer and, uh, Neris, you just never know with him, but I like the way he looked last night when they brought him in with a five run lead. I wish they could get more five run leads for him and not just bring him in the one and two run situations where closer is typically used, but uh, Hector's going to be Hector as they say. Well, I really wanted to see him put Brogdon in there last night. They had them both warming up. I really wanted them to let Brogdon pitch the ninth inning just because it would be a good thing to do. It was a non-save situation at that point. Uh, why not let him go? Um, uh, but, hey, I, I did want to ask you, and it never came out exactly other than he was reported as being hurting his side. Well, I was wondering if it was another gaffe by Joe Girardi to start Andrew Knapp only for him to be unavailable um, hmm. and be in the lineup card. Uh, how can the manager not know, unless he got hurt in the pregame, catching in the bullpen, how can the manager not know his catcher can't go? Uh, something was wrong there. Yeah, I didn't hear what went down with that, but uh, Joe's yeah, making a sore side or sore ribs yeah. or, or something. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, look, well, bottom line, they're still right there and a uh, long way to go. The weird thing is, no matter who the manager is, they seem to play so much better at home than they do on the road. They're, what, 8-14 and 14 away from home this year. They were not good on the road the last couple of years, both uh, with Girardi and when Gabe Kapler was here. So they got to figure that out because, you know, you're still going to play half, half of your games away from home. So you got to get that right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, some people might not want to hear this, but uh, Odubel Herrera has given them a little bit of a jump start. He's, he's hitting the ball well. Uh, I didn't realize, Chet, uh, you know, with his suspension 
and then COVID, he hadn't played professional baseball for two seasons. Uh, you know, so as he was trying to get his timing back, he was struggling early on when he got up, and now he's starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Um, you know, he's giving them a spark, and as he's hit the ball, McCutcheon is starting to hit the ball, Bohm's starting to hit the ball a little bit. Um, you know, they're all going to have their peaks and valleys, but uh, having a center fielder in the lineup that can put the ball in play and make some plays has definitely helped this club. Yeah, it was 2019 that Oduble had the incident that led to the suspension. And then, of course, last year, as you said, there was the, the COVID, so there was no minor league action. He was still serving that suspension. And, you know, regarding Oduble, I don't understand why so many of the local Philly sportscasters have thought that they should not have given him a chance. You know, he served the suspension. Uh, there were no criminal charges and nobody's defending, you know, what he did, hurting his girlfriend, putting his arms on her throat, allegedly. Uh, nobody's saying that was the right thing to do, but he did serve the suspension and, uh, you know, he sought counseling and he apologized. So give the guy a chance. So I, you know, we're all about second chances. We did it with Michael Vick. We did it with Brett Myers. We did it with, you know, other people who have had issues and, uh, I think Oduble deserves that as well. And, yeah, he is starting to come around. Now He hit a couple of home runs, including that huge one a few nights ago. So uh, he's the the guy to be knocked out of the center field spot right now because nobody else has certainly run away with it. Yeah, well, and I think to your point on Oduble is he's not saying that it was okay either. He knows he messed up. He should, he's come out and said, I messed up. And – uh you know, I'm with you. you. Give the guy a chance, and, you know, if he messes up again, you know, he knows the consequences. But, uh, yeah, he's the guy. And how about Adam Hazley's back in the organization? That that was kind of a crazy thing. Um, you know, uh, I guess uh, they're calling that a mental health issue. And uh, I also read an article, Chad, in Sports Illustrated that was really uh, – they still have Sports Illustrated, by the way uh, – <laughs> that there were about eight or nine guys uh, presently on the mental health list. Hmm. Yeah, that uh, apparently – and I don't know how much of it relates to social media issues. Uh, you know, these guys are reading about how much they stink and how much they're being booed and, you know, by social media. They're just kids. They're 21, 25 years old, whatever, and they're reading the same crap everybody else reads and puts out. And, uh, you know, maybe for some, you know, in the old days we would call them soft. But, you know, it's reality. We didn't have to go through this social media stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, hey, supposedly Tim is about to join us. Now we'll see if we can uh, find him here. But in the meantime, Bill, um, quick Eagles question. What did you think of the Ryan Kerrigan signing, the former Washington football team defender? Well, he's a great player. Uh, he's absolutely a great player. He's a 10-year veteran. He might be, you know, he's not going to be what he was when he was 22 years old. Uh, but, you know, he's a great player. And if they can scheme him up and get some stuff out of him like they did with Chris Long, I think that's a probably a good comparison where uh, Chris Long had had a great time here in Philadelphia. And uh, if they can work Kerrigan in, I don't know he's an every down player anymore, but he doesn't need to be. Maybe him and Brandon Graham out there can uh, can do some good stuff. Well, speaking of good stuff, let's talk a little baseball because we have Tim Kelly ready to join us from Phillies Nation. We say hello to Tim. How you doing, Tim? What's going on? I'm good. Uh, sorry about that. I, I've been doing a million things today, but glad to join you guys again. All right. I'm sure. Uh, let's get right to it. Um I want to talk about Bryce Harper. Uh, he's had the back issue last year, various problems already this year. You know, he got hit by the pitch. He's had the sore wrist. Um, I know he plays hard all the time, but I, I feel like we're sometimes only getting 60 or 70% of Bryce Harper because of the health issues. Is this a long-term concern, do you think, for him? I think it has to be to, to some degree that you're in year three of a 13-year deal and you're starting to see some of these injuries. I mean, I, I wrote about it when he was a free agent that I was a little worried with the violence that he swings with and how hard he runs, how he would age. But I, I didn't think any of that would necessarily be coming into play in his age 28 season. And I, I think he'll probably be fine. But, yeah, you, you should worry about what it's going to be in year eight and year 11 and whatever of the deal. Yep. 
Hey, Tim, we talked for a minute before you came with us uh, about the starting pitching and, uh, the, you know, whether Vince Velasquez is going to be a solid number four now that he's actually put a couple of good games together. I don't know you can trust him, but uh, what about the five spot? It's it's all it's all open right now. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have Spencer Howard at some point. Joe Girardi kind of uh, hinted today that that's not necessarily right now, but it, it'll be at some point he'll be in the mix. But he's not going to be a guy that can go out there and give you seven innings either. So uh, I think externally they're going to have to make a trade. It's weird because the, the Phillies are in a situation where they have three good starters. Like if you go into a postseason series, you know who's starting, but you have to get there first. And you know, in a postseason series, you think, well, it doesn't matter who the five starter is, but it does matter who the five starter is just as much as the number one in August and September. So I think they're going to have to make an addition. It probably won't be somebody sexy, but somebody like John Lester or one of these guys that you know can at least go out there and give you six innings every time and not fry your bullpen for the next few days. Well, speaking of the starting rotation, um, Chase Anderson has been dreadful much of the time and even worse this past Sunday. Is it time to turn that spot over to Spencer Howard, even if they have to limit him to four or five innings initially per start? Well, I think prior to last Sunday, Chase Anderson had been giving you three or four innings, which is about what you're going to hope for from Spencer Howard. So maybe it's time to piggyback them at some point. I, I don't know. The, to, prior to last weekend, the biggest problem for Chase Anderson was just that he wasn't going to innings, but he would give you four in that range respectable innings. So they're going to have to figure something out externally. I don't know exactly where they have Spencer Howard capped at, but you do wonder if you're better off kind of burning through those innings now, knowing that maybe you'll be able to make a, a trade deadline pickup that will help you in August and September when maybe Spencer Howard can't pitch out of the rotation anymore. Mm -hmm. What do you think about uh, Nick Maton? He uh, kind of came out of nowhere, and he is uh, produced just about every night. They're starting to move him around and give him some positions. Is he uh, is he going to continue to get a lot of playing time? And uh, does that, you know, kind of make the end for Scott Kingry, where Kingry did what Maton is doing? Yeah, I mean, you need does serves this kind of role. And I, I liked Nick Maton, what I saw out of him in spring training, and it's kind of translated so far. Of course, he's gonna he's not going to hit 400 for the rest of his career, but he is going to be someone that continues to produce. And I think uh, people take this as a diss. It's not men in that way. I think he is like a really good super utility guy, that type of role where uh, maybe you can't play center field, but he can probably play in the in left field at, at the very least and maybe right field. And then he can play two or three infield positions. So that's very valuable. Uh, I was asking Zach Wheeler about it last night. He seemed really impressed with how Maton has just kind of not skipped a beat coming up to the major league level. So it, it's a very good sign. The Phillies were due for this. Their biggest problem the last few years has been that they're too top-heavy. So to have someone come up like this that isn't necessarily Bryce Harper or JT Real Muto or whoever, but it is going to be a piece for you for a few years, that, that's a good sign. Hey, Tim, why have the Phillies been so poor defensively this year? What's up with that? I think they've been poor defensively because they built a team that is not particularly good at defense. Um, they, they baked too much on I don't think that this is like guys drastically underperforming. A lot of them are doing what they've always done. Um, I mean, Gene Segura is the guy that's gotten a lot of blame, but the, the, you can make a case Gene Segura is the best fielder on the team. I mean, you, you can move him to multiple different positions. And until last weekend, he was playing very well at second base. He can play third base. You look around the rest at first base, Reese Hoskins has struggled. At shortstop, Didi Gregorius has struggled. Alec Bohm has struggled. Andrew McCutcheon has struggled defensively. Um, <clears throat> Bryce Harper is fine, but it may be that he peaked defensively his first season with the Phillies. And obviously JT Real Muto is still very good behind the plate, but you, there just has not been enough of a focus and roster building on defense. And I think it's maybe something you can't fix in the middle of the season, but this off season, especially if the DH comes back, I think you have to look long and hard at Alec Bohm goes to first base, Reese Hoskins goes to DH and Didi Gregorius goes to either third or he goes to second and Gene Segura goes to third, whatever the case is. But you have to prioritize defense more than you have. Speaking of pitching, uh, Aaron Nola 
bit bit inconsistent uh, as a number one. Some nights you're just not sure exactly what you're going to get from uh, Nola. You see that as a long-term problem? No, not really. I mean, Aaron Nola, I was looking at it on fan graphs this morning. Zach Wheeler is like the third best-ranked pitcher in the sport right now, but Aaron Nola is still 10 or 11. I mean, uh, we get into this ace debate all the time, and it's kind of strange because no one really has defined what an ace is. Is an ace – Roy Halladay and Cliff Lee, because if that's the case, then there's like two or three of those guys in the sport. But if an ace is about what Cole Hamels was, then that's about what Aaron Nola has done. He has some of these up and down stretches, but then he'll go a month or two in the summer where he's unhittable. Uh, getting over the thing in September is going to be a, a, an issue, certainly. But beyond that, a- Aaron Nola is steady. He probably is a number two on a contending team, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. All right, Tim, we got to wrap it up. We got another guest waiting. We got to talk a little Sixers basketball. Thank you and uh, go Phillies. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right, Jet. Uh, let's just jump right over and let's get to Tyrone Johnson and let's talk Sixers. Did he jump out of his chair? There he is. There he is. Tyrone joining the show now. Hey, Ty. Hey, Ty. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Oh, oh it's our pleasure, me. man. Ty, are you as excited as I am about the fact that the postseason is finally here? Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, the the regular season dragged at the end, especially. Um, it was it, this is the thing. It looks like, oh well, the Sixers had an easy schedule at the end. Well, that's partially because the other teams had an easier schedule early. So it just kind of balanced out. Everybody, it's a balanced schedule. Everybody plays the same people. It just happened to be that the Sixers got a lot of the tough teams out during earlier in the year. So at the end, it was a real slog. Hey, Ty, I'm going to ask you about Doc Rivers. Uh, how much did Doc Rivers have to do with the Sixers going 49 and 23 and earning the top seed? Uh, I think he was hugely important because what he did was he raised the floor of the team. And, the, and what I mean by that is there were a lot under Brett Brown, and it's not necessarily all Brett Brown's fault. The players also matured um, this year, which maybe they mature without him. Just getting older as an athlete, you mature. The NBA, Jordan Embiid, had his best season at the same time when Michael Jordan and a lot of other players in the past had their best seasons. Allen Iverson, you name it, Kobe Bryant, that's usually around the age. That 27 years old is around where you hit your stride. But what he did was they didn't lose to a lot of the bad teams. You can go find here and there, but there were a ton of those losses under Brett Brown. What Doc did was he provided more consistency, something that this team badly needed. And the consistency is why they got the the one seed. They didn't lose to a lot of bad teams. I think with a different coach, they possibly could have. Hey, Ty, do you make anything of the fact that they didn't win any game? Well, they, they didn't do very well when Ben Simmons was out for those handful of games. Do you make anything of that, or is it just it just fell that way? Uh, I don't, unless you, unless Ben Simmons isn't going to play, play in the playoffs. Um, I don't make anything of the games when they're not 100% all there because this team can't win, especially if the Nets are healthy, unless they're 100% all there. That's really the only way I can judge this particular team. They don't have that margin of error. We'll find out if the Nets do, if the Bucs do. But I don't think the Bucs, I couldn't judge them without Giannis or without Middleton or without Drew Holiday, for example. So I just have to take it just with their best guys. And with their best guys, they were uh, pretty darn good. And at least entering the playoffs, knock on wood, they're all healthy. Well, Ty, you and Mike on uh, 97.5, the Fanatic, talk a lot about the rotation. We know who the starters are. We know that the guys coming off the bench will include Dwight Howard, George Hill, Matisse Thibel. But do you go deeper? Are we going to see Maxi much? Are we going to see Furcon? Are we going to see your man Shake Milton? Um, well, in the first round, you will. Um, Indiana, I think it's going to be Indiana. I think they're going to beat Washington. Who knows in a single-game situation? But the Pacers have played better down the stretch and th- than Washington has, so I believe that they're going to win the game. Um, but either way, I think early you will see all of those guys. I don't think he's just going to go, all right, it's the playoffs, let's play eight. I think he's going to look at it as, Embiid could play 38 minutes right now. Ben Simmons could play 40 minutes. Tobias could play 40 minutes right now. Let's not do that to start in the playoffs unless we have to. So I think early in the postseason, you'll see all those guys. By the end of the postseason, because I think they're definitely going to get to the conference finals, I don't think you'll see anybody beyond those eight unless, for some reason, they feel like they can't play Dwight Howard, in which then it'll be a wild card of who even would be the eighth guy. So that's something that I've been really watching closely. What's going to happen if they have to go small and who do they go with there? Who's the eight then? If you, if Embiid's going to be your only center, 
that would be really interesting down the road. And hopefully we don't have to worry about that until it's a Bucks or Nets series or 1% chance, I guess, Miami. Well, tell you, you know, I think we're pretty sure that you're going to get what you're going to get from Joel. You know, he's going to get points. You know, he's going to get rebounds. You know, he's going to play yeah. well. Uh, who has to play well behind him? Is it is it Tobias that's got to be the big gun behind, or is it is it the, the outside shooting? Uh, who do you see being that second guy that's really got to be playing well? You know, that's an interesting question because I think one feeds another. And what I mean by that is, is Embiid's going to get his, but Embiid getting his allows others to get there. So the shooting kind of takes care of itself. Also, if Tobias, I think Tobias is going to have to get you 20 a night, just like he did all regular season. He was very consistent. Um, He has to do that. The interesting one's always going to be Ben Simmons. That's going to be the one. He has to remain aggressive. He has to be aggressive. It would be really refreshing for me in in a first-round series if Embiid had to average closer to 20, than 30 because that means that Ben Simmons is being aggressive and Ben Simmons being aggressive really opens up for those shooters. The reason I'm, I'm not I'm not focusing on those particular shooters are I don't think they get their own shots. Their games are very dependent on the top three guys playing at a higher level. So for me, it's about Tobias do what he did all year and be do what you did all year. This is an early rounds. Everybody's going to have to ratchet it up if the Nets are a juggernaut or if they make the finals. We know you're going to need Herculean efforts from all those guys, even more than you've seen. But at least in the first two rounds, you're going to have to do Embiid, B, Embiid, Tobias, B, Tobias. Simmons on offense needs to be a better version. And if he's a better version of himself, those guys will get open looks. And I believe they'll make enough open shots because they don't have to create. They can stand, stand and shoot. And I think they're very good at it. And that's something that Richardson last year and Al Horford just couldn't do last year with or without Simmons. They just couldn't do it. And that's the, a big difference with the personnel this year. Those two right. guys. I'm sure we're not going to start to see Ben Simmons draining threes all of a sudden. No. But uh, <laughs> no, Joel and aggressive. Yeah. Get downhill. And and that will get guys open looks. There's been times, though, where we've seen in the past where he, he starts aggressive and then all of a sudden stops. He can't stop. Just stay aggressive. And that will help his teammates get those open looks. Joel Embiid has had an amazing season. He'll finish in the top three or four in the MVP voting. Is this postseason an opportunity for him to make a real name for himself as one of the very, very best in the league? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this is one thing that's tough about uh, big men that sort of play like big men. And it's why I'm glad that Doc Rivers has unlocked a lot of his game this year and not just ask him to just post up. He still led the league in post-ups because there's a lot of, I call them sort of Neanderthal fans that think it's just about posting up over and over again. And that doesn't really work because the rules don't really help you because as many times as he's get to the foul line, you can pretty much maul guys in the post. And when you double there, you can swipe, you can foul those guys basically every time by unlocking his game, by allowing him to do more things. I think that's what you're going to see and why he can really, unlock himself as one of the great players because you're going to see him able to score on all three levels to facing the basket mid-range out to the three-point line and all those things and for that reason i think he'll be able to really help a team you know and, we, we and talk, jump to that level yeah we we talked about doc and uh i think we all agree he's done a great job with this team uh from a media standpoint do you do you feel like it's been a little bit of a media coach speak in regards to the Ben in which, uh, you know, Doc's saying, hey, it's all about wins. I don't care. You guys worry about how many shots he takes. Uh, uh, it's all about wins. You, you think Doc believes that or you think that's Doc coach speak? Um, I think it's coach speak. Um, honestly, I think it's coach speak. I don't necessarily think it's, it's wrong because wrong, I mean, wrong for him to say it. Obviously, it, the team's better if the more Ben Simmons can do. That applies to everybody. It's just that he has the the glaring limitation. If all of a sudden Joel and B can make shots from half court, it would make the team better. It would be silly to say, "Oh no!" Like making fifty footers would help any. Like obviously, doing more would help the team. So it, it's obvious. I think he's doing that because he doesn't want to blast his team, his players in public. And I think that that works in today's game. I don't think the uh, Girardi the other day yelling at a player in public. I just don't think it works anymore. Like I don't know if it ever actually worked, but I know it doesn't work now. Um, the public thing, say whatever you need to say in private, doing it, showing guys up in public, I don't think does any good. But what it does do is it makes him bond with Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons, because Ben Simmons is also aware. There's no way Ben Simmons thinks that all of this is just normal. He knows what he doesn't do. He's also aware. So the coach having his back publicly, I think 
helps keep Ben Simmons engaged. Just like when Doc Rivers talks about, we might play 10 or 11 guys the whole playoffs. We know that's not going to happen, but it keeps all those bitch guys engaged. It's clearly coach speak, but it, I think it will help get the most out of Ben Simmons because I don't think Ben Simmons would be the type of guy to react well if someone challenges him in that particular way. I, I don't think he would react well to it. Tyrone, I know you got a lot going on. So uh, what do you have happening tonight? You have a show uh, coming on NBC Sports Philly. And then you got something on Sunday when the Sixers start their postseason. Tell us about it. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, we'll have Sixers Outsiders throughout the playoffs as well on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Tonight at 11 p.m. it'll air. We're going to do a little uh, postseason preview with Amy Fadul, Mark Jackson, Danny Pommels, and myself. So we're going to do that. And um, also on Sunday, if you go to Rivers Casino, I'll be there during the games. Every home game, they'll be doing a different kind of party for road games, the way they have it up with the Sixers this year. For the home games, it'll be at Rivers Casino. I'll be doing a watch party for every single one of the home playoff games. So stop, that'll start on Sunday. I still haven't seen a time. Have you guys seen a time no, yet? Not yet. For Sunday's not yet. game? I believe it's going to be – there's two West Coast games, so we know the 10 o'clock slot has to be one of the West Coast teams, likely sold a 7. So I think they're going to have these not the noon tip or the 1 o'clock tip. It'll probably be around a 3.30 tip. In that range, I don't know for sure, but we'll be doing watch parties the entire playoffs. And I think this might be a run. You know, this pandemic pushes things back. If they get to play the Nets, we're talking about July basketball. Mm -hmm. July basketball. And, and uh, you know, I'm it's just a it. different world. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just a different world for us. Absolutely. And then this, and if they go to the finals, that takes us to July 22nd. If we went to game <laughs> seven of the finals, that takes you to training camp. We could literally go right from the Sixers to the Eagles with no time off this year. There's a real – It's you guys wouldn't say that's crazy to happen. Maybe they're not favored, but it wouldn't shock anybody for the Sixers to get to the finals and go deep against a West Conference team. There's a decent chance that we're literally going right from the Sixers right to Eagles training camp with no downtime. And, and obviously baseball season going at the same time. It'd be incredible. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do well, it. Well, hey, and, and before you go, since you, since you went down that road, how far are they going to go? How far are the Sixers going to make this thing? So conference finals a lot. I need to see. And the only reason I'm this is a cop out is I have not seen the Nets with their three best players. Everyone assumes it's going to be a plus. I It could also be a minus. We don't know what it's going to be with those guys. So until I see those guys for, can I get to 10? Let me see three games more with all those guys play before I can say, okay, how they are. Right now, I have them solidly. It's a, to me, the season is a disaster if they don't get to the conference finals. If the Nets are some unbeatable super team and they're better than the Sixers, I personally can accept it. I won't be happy about it, but sometimes the team's just better. But I want to see the Nets before I judge that they're better with all three guys. So right now I have it deep, and they still can't get swept or anything. They still have that, that still has to be a distance series. But I'm conference finals for sure. Let's see the Nets play just some basketball with their whole roster. And then I'll come back on and give you a new prediction. <laughs> okay. You got it, Ty. Well, I got I got to say, I think uh, just rolling the ball out and telling new guys to go out and play together, that's not to the Nets' advantage. That's to the Sixers' advantage in my mind. I agree. I do wonder if they if Boston pushes them a little bit, they get six games from them. And then the second round, a Bucks series, maybe they have it together by then. But I agree with you right now. I think it would be advantage Sixers, but they also get a couple rounds to get their things together. And this is what they've been banking on all year. They were very conservative with the thinking of it'll just work. Maybe it does. But like you say, Bill, it's very risky. Yes, it is. All right, all Ty. Right, Ty. We're going to let you go because we know you are busy. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us, my friend. No, thank you guys so, so much for having me anytime. I really appreciate it, guys. All, all right, right, Ty. Take care. Appreciate you. All right, Chet. If your couch is getting more mileage than your car, it's time to start saving with Allstate Pay-As-You-Go Auto Insurance. You know it, Bill. Allstate's Pay-As-You-Go Auto Insurance puts you in control. You only pay for the miles you drive with the same full coverage that a traditional policy offers. Pay-Per-Mile Insurance gives customers greater control of their insurance costs. See how much you can save with Pay-Per-Mile Car Insurance by calling your local agent. In Westchester, Pennsylvania, that is Dave Lavoy. Call Dave at 610-430-0700. Again, it is 610-430-0700. And, uh, Bill, when you talk to Dave, you tell him that I said hello. And when I see Willie Nile in about a week and a half, I'll tell him that. Hey, everybody, it's Willie Nile here, and you're listening to Chet and Bill on Philly Press Box Radio. You lucky people. 
Yeah, be sure to tell Willie I said hello to him. <laughs> <laughs> May 29th. Yeah, hey, I got to tell you, uh, you know, we, we didn't have as much time with Tim as, as we'd like to have, but uh, he's always great, and Ty was great. We could have talked to him for an hour and a half, I think, about six or we kind of had to – run through that a little bit because of his busy schedule. And, uh, but we, we certainly appreciate him joining us. <laughs> well, let me tell you about Ty. He did the show of course, with uh, Mikey miss on 97, five all afternoon as he drove home. Uh, they had him on the phone on 97.5 with Devon Gibbons and Bob Cooney talking about the Sixers. And then he was on with us and now he's going back to NBC sports Philly to do another show, uh, you know, previewing the playoffs. So he, he is a busy guy. Indeed. It's his time of year. You know, oh yeah, he he certainly uh, he didn't look tired. That's for sure. So good, I didn't good. get I didn't get to talk to him about music, and uh, I got a little issue with him. And I'll tell you, there's a big uh, concert tour this summer postponed from last year, of course, the Hella Mega Tour, and it's Green Day, Weezer, and Fallout Boy. I'm not sure if I'm going yet, but Ty said he's going to be there, but he's going to enjoy Fallout Boy and then Weezer and then leave before Green Day comes on. I wanted to find out what the heck he's got against Green Day. I like Green Day. I saw them 10 or 11 years ago. They put on a great show. Apparently, Ty doesn't agree. Well, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Ty has another engagement, so he's just got to prioritize. No, he just doesn't like Green Day, but I got to find out why. Well, so. we will have to find another out time. Hey, Chet, we mentioned minicamp uh, going on around the league. Zach Ertz is a no-show. Howie Roseman's dealing. We, we talked about Ryan Kerrigan. He's brought in a couple of DBs, brought in a couple offensive linemen, another one today it looks like. Uh, you know, it, it's funny to me that uh, the draft, the Devontae Smith move has gotten Howie Roseman off the hot seat, at least for the moment, it seems, with the Philly faithful. Uh, what do you think about what's going on so far? Well, I'm not sure what to make as of yet about the whole Kerrigan deal. I mean, he's been a very good player for a while, of course, a four-time Pro Bowl guy, but he'll be 33 this summer, so 33 before the Eagles kick off their season. And with team in a rebuilding phase, which, you know, they don't use that word, uh, they should be trying to get younger, not bringing in older guys. Uh, that being said, I like Kerrigan a lot. I mean, he's been great against the Eagles. He's also played very well against the Dallas Cowboys over the year, so that could help the Eagles too. But I just don't know how much he has left in the tank at what will be age 33. He did a five-and-a-half sacks last year. So I like the guy. I like him as a player, but I just don't know if it's the right move because of the fact that he's 33 this year. Well, I think it's it's all salary cap stuff. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna end up getting a bunch of these guys, and and as guys get cut, I think you'll see more of it. You're gonna get guys on one year deals that you can kind of get maybe on the cheap, because you got to fit them under the salary cap. And, yeah. uh You know, you can't take a guy like well, I don't know, younger than Kerrigan, whoever mm -hmm. that would be, a 25 year old guy. You're gonna have to pay him a whole bunch of money. Yeah, the Eagles don't have the money. Right, they give them a bunch of years and you don't have that. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I guess uh, the other thing that is interesting, uh, Nick Sirianni keeps keeps talking about competition. And uh, it seems like the guys have taken to that early on, and uh, that's good. That That's a real good sign. I don't know in the end of the day it's going to mean anything, but competition in camp is good. Yeah, uh, he does talk about that all the time. And Hertz said he doesn't really have a problem with the whole competition thing. You know, it, it might just be semantics. Maybe the Eagles know that he is going to be the guy, but they just don't want to come out and say that. They want to make him really, truly earn it. Uh, regarding the draft, Bill, as I keep thinking about that. Um, I talked about it last week while you were off. The success or failure of the 2021 Eagles draft, to me, may well come down to that second-round pick, Landon Dickerson. Because, you know, everybody says he's going to be a great player if he can stay healthy. And that's going to be the key. You know, if he's healthy, he can probably play at some point this year and then take over for Jason Kelsey when he retires or move right in at guard. So uh, that, that to me is going to be the key to this whole draft. You know, what happens with Dickerson and his health? Well, I don't think they have to rush him. Uh, I don't think they really drafted him to, yeah. to start. Uh, you know, they got to get him healthy first and make sure that he's good to go whenever. Right. But then, but then, uh, you know, he can be a backup to Samala or some, or, or yeah. Kelsey. Uh, I don't think they have to rush him into the starting lineup. They have time. And if, if they don't use him all year, except for spots that that's probably okay too. 
um, and let him get healthy and uh, see what they got. Kid can play. We know he can play. You know, yeah. he played at Florida State before he went to Alabama. You know, he, he bounced around and uh, he started everywhere he went and he he's a great player. So, uh, like you say, I, I said this when they picked him. They didn't pick him for this year. I didn't expect him to come in and take a starting spot uh, right off the bat. So, uh, we'll see. It's just a shame that the Eagles in so many cases over the you know last several years have used a second round pick on a guy that's not going to be able to play right away. We're not sure about Dickerson yet, but you know, it was Sidney Jones a few years ago. Last year was Jalen Hurts, of course, you know, part of the quarterback factory. And you know, we'll, we'll see how Hurts works out. Maybe just maybe Bill Hurts is going to surprise us and not be you know, the 31st best quarterback in the league or whatever it was that's pro football focus or whatever declared him. Maybe he's been working hard. He says he is, and the coach says he is, and maybe he'll surprise us and, you know, throw for 4,000 yards and a great percentage. Well, I think uh, I saw that rating of 31st out of 32nd uh, as yeah. well. Uh, I don't think it's fair to him, and I don't think it's fair to Carson Wentz. Uh, what we saw last year was a beat up offensive line and lousy yeah. receivers. Uh, you know, no one was going to be successful there. Hertz was no more successful really than, than Wentz other than with his legs. Uh, you know, he, he showed a little spark with his legs, but, uh, he didn't do any better than Wentz did. But again, they, they didn't have any weapons and they didn't have any healthy people running around. Um, I, I, it's just not fair to to, to uh, Hertz at this point. Mm -hmm. I know. And, um, yeah. And Hertz, uh, you know, I, they got to get this thing going. Uh, now I read something and I, I don't remember what the details were, but June one is a key date. Yeah. Um, if they, if they keep him, if they trade him after June one, it's a different salary cap hit, I think, than if they move him before June one. Exactly. And I forget which is better to do it right after June 1st or right before June 1st. But yeah, there is some key date in early June that they're uh, going to yeah, be eyeing. I think, I think it's after. You get better yeah. advantage if you trade him after or move him. I mean, I think there's a 99.5% chance that he will be moved. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chad, let's give a shout out to all the shows at the Edge of Philly Sports Network, which we are also part of. We are. Birds IQ every Monday, 7 p.m. live with Kyle and Eric Quinn talking Eagles football and reacting to the birds as they battle their way through the NFL. Edge of Philly Sports Live, Joe, Freddie, and Big Al cover four for four and so much more Philly sports. You can watch that live Wednesday nights tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. And join Tom Kelly and the gang at Patterson Avenue Fanatics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. They, too, talk all things Philly sports. They got it going on over there as well. You can check out all the shows at www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, and like buttons. And as always, share with your friends and family. Don't forget to sign up for the weekly EOP newsletter that arrives each Friday by email. Hey, Bill, the uh, Eagles schedule, as you know, came out last week, and we talked about it a bit last week when you weren't here. But uh, anything in particular stand out about that to you? Well, uh, the big thing to me was the, the last four, Washington, the Giants, Washington, Dallas, all division games, the last four after the bye week. Uh, that That's important to me. Um you know, and then, then the other thing was the, the Raiders game, I think is kind of interesting with Detroit back to back those and then, and then back to Denver. Um, you know, they, that, that's a lot of, lot of road travel, a lot of traveling there. It is indeed. And uh, I know a lot of people are going to be taking that trip out to Las Vegas for the Eagles Raiders game. And uh, boy, that, that will be a lot of fun. We know our, our pal Rob is out there and uh, I'm guessing some of the guys from edge of Philly might take a jaunt out there. Maybe Freddie, maybe big Al, who knows? Yeah. You going? Uh, we'll see how the money holds out. I got a lot of <laughs> concerts to still buy. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Hey, I believe it is time to ring the bell. You got anything for random chat this oh, week? Oh, uh, let's see what, what I can come up with. Uh, you know, oh, we, we need a laugh. I need a laugh. Okay, let's make it official. I'll, I'll turn the page up there. I will ring the bell now, Bill. 
Yeah, uh, I've talked a lot, Bill, about television on Random Chat, a bit about Hollywood, much to your chagrin, a couple of times memorably about some unusual candles, but uh, it seems about half the time the segment ends up being about music, Bill, and that is the case once again this week. Earlier this year, I reflected on some of the many great albums that were released in 1971, 50 years ago. I own a bunch of the classics from that year, like Who's Next, the Yes album, Led Zeppelin's fourth album, Zoso, and the Stones' Sticky Fingers. But I have even more albums from the year 1981, a mere 40 years ago. Yeah, there were a slew of memorable LPs out that year. Great albums from classic rockers, Genesis, The Stones, The Cars, The Police, Rush, The Who, Rod Stewart, ZZ Top, and others. But how about these? ACDCs for those about to rock. Uh, the Jay Giles Band put out Freeze Frame. What a great album that was. The Kinks with Give the People What They Want. Tom Petty, of course, Hard Promises, one of my personal favorites. And yeah, Van Halen's Fair Warning, all from 1981. We also got debut solo albums from Phil Collins, Face Value, Stevie Nicks with her Belladonna, and former Generation X frontman Billy Idol put out this one, a four-song solo EP featuring Dancing With Myself and a cover of Moni Moni. Motley Crue's first album was released in 1981, too. And we also got debuts from The Go-Go's and Joan Jett and The Blackhearts. There were successful sophomore albums, too, from Billy Squire, The Pretenders, Def Leppard, and even a solo, Ozzy Osbourne, yeah, his second solo one. And, oh, yeah, a little band from Ireland called U2 had a sophomore album out that year also. I'll tell you, I spent a lot of money on albums in the 1970s and 80s, and with few exceptions, I don't regret any of that. Happy 40th to all of these memorable albums. You know, I, I was going to say when you put that up there, uh, you spent a lot of money on albums. That was the first, <laughs> yeah, I thought, sure did. first thought that came to my mind. I had well over a thousand albums at one point. I ended up getting rid of a whole bunch of them over the years. I still have about 300 of the actual LPs, and I brought in you know a few of them right there for that little piece. So, uh, yeah, I loved albums. As we discussed before, I loved opening a new album, looking at the artwork, and checking you know who did what on the album as far as playing the instruments. Ah, the good old days. Well, I'm going to put this up here just because you need to see it, okay? Yeah. From TK. <laughs> 1981. <laughs> yeah, Tom, we're old. We get it. We're no, old, you're, you're old. I'm you're not old giving, too, Bill. I'm not giving my, <laughs> myself. <laughs> Tom Kelly, uh, that young whippersnapper. Yeah, that's right. Well, we appreciate Thanks, that, TK. All right. Hey, Chet, great guest tonight in Tim Kelly and Ty Johnson. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio? Well, Bill, uh, next week, the 26th of May, we have one guest for sure, maybe a second one, we'll see. But for now, it is one of our favorites who will join us to talk more Phillies baseball. And, you know, when he's in Florida, he's known as Mr. Spring Training. It's our old pal, Chris Wheeler, joining us. We haven't talked to Chris since last year, so it'll be good to have wheels on the show once again, Bill. Absolutely. You know he'll be loaded up talking plenty of baseball. Hey, you know, a few minutes ago I talked about that trip to Vegas, and I, I forgot to mention that Philly sports trips, um, which we talked about their baseball things going on before like that, they also have a lot of basketball stuff or uh, football stuff happening, including trips to Las Vegas. Yeah, the Birds' ultimate trip. It's a Vegas trip. Uh, the weekend of October 21st through the 25th, the Eagles play that Sunday, the 24th, of course, against the Raiders. And John Durenboss will be a part of it. And so will 97.5, the Fanatics' John Kincaid. He's going to be going out there as part of that trip as well. So you get to hang out with John Kincaid and former Eagle and current magician John Durenboss. So check phillysportstrips.com for all the details on that. Quick question on that. Uh, that's cool. That's a cool trip. Yeah. Um, the, when they do that, is it the whole package? You, do they take care of the hotels? They take care of the whole works? They have all different options. They have, you know, trips where you get your own travel and they're providing everything else. They have trips where they'll take care of the travel and the the game. And then there's others where they just have the travel and you can try to find your own tickets because from what I understand, the tickets are really tough to come by on your own. So uh, look into that, but check out phillysportstrips.com. There are all different options on there and different pricing levels for how many people are in your party, et cetera. 
Very good. Very cool. Hey, Chet, Villanova's Jay Wright, the Inquirer's women's basketball guru, Mel Greenberg, selected to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Great honor and well-deserved for both of these men. Yes, indeed. I, I don't know a whole lot about Mel. I know he's been covering the uh, Philly sports scene, women's basketball for about 50 years now. So congratulations to Mel. As far as Jay Wright, you know, he's only 59 years old. He's already won a couple of titles at Nova. He's been the Villanova Wildcats head coach now for 20 years. And I've heard a couple of interviews with him just in the past few days, one on 97.5 with Mikey Miss the other day. And he was talking about, you know, playing at Bucknell and then taking some jobs at smaller schools. And uh, he just said he loved everything about it from, you know, the smaller schools until becoming an assistant at Nova under Roley, going out to UNLV with him briefly. And then, of course, getting the head job at Nova. And now he's been there 20 years. And you wonder how long he's going to coach. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's won a couple of titles. But he can conceivably coach, you know, another 15, 20 years and, you know, maybe set some win total records. So whatever he decides, congrats to Jay Wright, a great guy and obviously a great head coach as well. Absolutely. And, and uh, on Mel Greenberg, Chad, I wanted, I did want to say a couple things about him. You know, he is uh, basically the guru of women's sports. Uh, he's the one that actually created the first uh, top 25 in women's sports many, many years ago. And uh, he um, has won a lot of awards. Uh, there was actually a award called the Greenberg. Uh, let me see. Mel Greenberg Women's Basketball Coaches Association Media Award that he was the first recipient of in 1991. And it is named after him. It's already in the uh, in 2007 Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, 2018 Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, and now the Kurt Gowdy Award, as he said, the granddaddy of them all for his career. So 74 years young, Mel Greenberg, and he's still out at games every night covering women's college basketball. And uh, he has grown with it, and they have grown because of him. And uh, great honor for Mel. Congrats to Mel. Congrats to Jay. As for Ben Wallace, I don't know if he deserves it, but hey, He's going to the Hall of Fame, too. You got a parting yeah. shot, Bill? No, no parting shot for me tonight. All right, let me tell you, I got one. Uh, the pandemic, Bill, took a toll on a lot of people last year, small businesses and, of course, the millions of people who got furloughed or worse. But if you're a high-profile sports star, you had a very good past 12 months financially. A study by Forbes finds that the top 10 highest-paid athletes grossed $1.05 billion over the year ended May 1st. That's an increase of 28% from the previous year's top 10. At the bottom end of that list, you had Super Bowl champion Tom Brady and Brooklyn Nets star Kevin Durant, who pulled in about about $75, $76 million each in salary and endorsements. Tennis great Roger Federer was on the list. He was number seven, 90 million. Roger's doing okay. LeBron James may have won another NBA title, but the Lakers star had to settle for being number five on the list, $96.5 million for LBJ last year. At number four, Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. He grossed $107 million despite missing most of the NFL season, but then he did sign the contract expansion, which included a huge uh, salary bonus, signing bonus. Second and third on the list, a couple of soccer stars, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. They brought in, get this, $130 and $120 million respectively. Go figure. And at the very top of the list, Bill, MMA fighter Conor McGregor, who took in $180 million, most of that related to his whiskey brand and other endorsements. He got $22 million for the one time he fought last year, and he happened to lose that fight. But at the end of the year, May 1st, this year actually, Conor McGregor had pulled in $180 million. So, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just have wow for that. At least, at least in Tom Brady's case, he won something. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, geez, Durant and uh and Prescott, geez. And and Roger Federer, I, I don't know what he advertises in the United States, but I don't recall that I've seen him on a whole lot of TV ads. Yeah, I think it's here. a lot of European stuff, Rolex and a couple of other brands, but it's mostly in European advertising. But uh, he's doing okay, 90 million. 
yeah, yeah. Wrap it All up. All right, Bill. let's wrap it up. Let's thank tonight's guest, Tim Kelly and Tyrone Johnson, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy's Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 26th at 7 p.m. You can listen live on Facebook or Listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, or blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and others. Hi, Ops, Philadelphia sports fans, and let's go Sixers.